Welcome to the Gridiron Goodies Podcast. I am your host, as always, Stephen Scott. On today's episode, I will recap the remaining games from Week 11. I'll dive into the news you need to know. I hold myself accountable as we do a little bet busting. And I'll wrap up by checking in on the results of my fantasy football advice. All coming up on this week's full recap. We experienced a bit of a mixed bag this week. It wasn't necessarily the barn burner that last week was, but it had its moments though for sure. Let's kick things off by checking in on our watchable games list. First up, we had the Pittsburgh Steelers who dropped to 6-4 with a 10-13 loss to the Cleveland Browns, who improved to 7-3 on their year. This was honestly a hard game to watch. Both of these offenses and quarterbacks struggled in the passing game. As a result, both teams leaned heavily on the rushing attacks. Even though Najee Harris got the majority of the workload, it was Jalen Warren who had a big day and busted free for a 74-yard touchdown on the only score for the Steelers. Jerome Ford and Kareem Hunt split rushing duties evenly, and Ford came away with a lone touchdown for the Browns. Miles Garrett and this Browns defense was really close to scoring points of their own on a safety that ultimately wasn't meant to be. Their rookie quarterback, DTR, played a little better than his first start, but was still a bit of a mess. His favorite target, David Njoku, was targeted a total of 15 times, but only hauled in half of them for almost 60 yards. I'm going to take note of this for our best bets next weekend. Overall, this game was messy and essentially resulted in the slogfest we all knew it would be. Both of these teams need to do something to improve their offenses, and until then, this game earned both teams a permanent ban from our watchable games list. Up next, we had the Las Vegas Raiders, who dropped to 5-6 on the season, with a 13-20 loss to the Miami Dolphins at home, improving their record to 7-3. The track stars didn't put up quite as many points as I'd hoped for, but they still looked good. Tua threw for over 300 yards passing and tossed two touchdowns. He did, however, turn the ball over twice, once on an interception and once on a fumble. He was only sacked once by Max Crosby, who increased his total to 11 on the year and continues to be the only viable threat on that defense. Tyreek Hill put his afterburners on full display and came away with 10 catches, 150 yards, and a score. Their rushing attack was back, and Mostert tallied 86 yards on 22 carries. Devon Achan, however, took one snap and left the game. It appears he's not all the way back from his previous injury, and hopefully this didn't set him back at all as far as that goes. Aiden O'Connell and the Raiders' offense struggled most of this game. AOC threw three interceptions, two of them to Jalen Ramsey, and was sacked twice by Jalen Phillips. He may have a Jalen problem. It's probably a good thing they don't play the Eagles this year. It wasn't all doom and gloom for this offense, however. AOC was able to connect with Devontae Adams, targeting him a whopping 13 times. A far cry from the action he's seen earlier this season. Adams came away with 82 yards and the only touchdown. I thought this was a really good opportunity to lean on Josh Jacobs this game. Vic Fangio's defenses have been pretty bad against the run, historically speaking. But Jacobs only received 14 carries and went for 39 yards. Overall, these two teams are obviously on two different trajectories. Miami continues to roll over the teams they should, and the Raiders do look greatly improved since kicking Josh McDaniels out of the building, but they still have a lot of work to do this offseason. 
it's great to see Adams being utilized more, but it shouldn't have to be at the expense of Jacobs. Moving on, we had the Arizona Cardinals who dropped to 2-9 with a 16-21 loss to the Houston Texans at home. Houston improves to 6-4 on their campaign. I'm glad I stuck this game on my watchables list. I stated in the preview that this was going to be a crazy game, and it definitely was, resulting in one of the more entertaining games of the weekend. This was a bit of a messy game for CJ Stroud, however, who threw three picks. Two were on him, but one wasn't. In my eyes, he continues to look like a veteran. If your quarterback had a bad day, but still throws over 300 yards, two scores, and gets the win, I'd take that for my team any day. He targeted Nico Collins and Tank Dell the majority of this game. Tank ended his day with eight catches, 149 yards receiving, and was able to connect with Stroud for a deep bomb down the field for a beautiful touchdown. They've definitely found their answers in the running game as well. Devin Singletary now has had back-to-back -back big games, going for over 100 yards rushing and a score in this bout. This team continues to look dominant on offense, and they do a good job of keeping opposing defenses guessing what's coming next. On defense, Will Anderson had another impactful game, coming away with one sack, and alongside Blake Cashman, they were in Kyler's face most of this game. If he wasn't so squiggly, they would have come away with more sacks for sure. On the back end, their secondary continues to turn heads, and Derek Stingley is quietly putting himself on the map with his play rather than his draft position, coming away with a well-timed interception. Kyler Murray and this Cardinals offense struggled at times, but this unit has definitely elevated their production since his return. In his second game back, Murray threw for 214 yards, threw one touchdown pass, and scrambled for another. He did, however, have the aforementioned pick to Stingley. He keyed in on Greg Dorch and Trey McBride the majority of the game, but it was Rondale Moore whose only catch resulted in a 48-yard score. Both James Conner and Kyler Murray looked great on the ground and put up over 100 yards rushing combined. Overall, this game was an extremely back-and-forth and entertaining event. The Texans are starting to look like a real contender and are a prime candidate to earn a wildcard spot or better. Next up, we had the Vikings who dropped to 6-5 on the year with a 20-21 loss to the Denver Broncos at home. Denver improves to 5-5, five and, five, and while it does make me happy seeing the Broncos on the in-the-hunt graphic, this team does not belong in the playoffs as of yet. Their offense is a slog to watch. The broadcast team said it perfectly when they compared the offense and this team's overall strategy to that of the Steelers. They'll keep games close with defensive stops and hang around just long enough to just sneak out enough points to win. It may be a winning strategy for some, but it's boring as hell to watch, especially when other teams around the league are lighting it up. Outside of yet another beautiful touchdown catch from Sutton, this offense stinks. The rushing attack was stifled by the big boys up front for the Vikings, and the passing attack is essentially a joke until the waning minutes of these games. There's something about the last two minutes of the game that changes Russell Wilson. He looked pretty terrible for most of this game. He missed wide-ass open receivers, ran into pressure, and got sacked twice. But worse than that, his running all over gets his line in trouble. I'm beginning to realize 
He is the majority of the reason for a lot of these holding calls against that line. Coupled with the ineptitude in the passing game, this team cannot overcome any sort of penalty that puts them behind the sticks. So maybe we should stop doing that. The only reason this team came away with the win is the fact that their defense is playing ridiculously well. Jaquan McMillian, whom I highlighted in the preview, came away with yet another takeaway and made his impact felt all night. Another DB whose impact was felt was the pocket rocket himself, Kareem Jackson. He yet again missled himself into an opponent, a play that wasn't penalized, and most likely earned himself yet another fine. On a side note, I'm glad this is getting national attention now. I've been harping on this guy for years. A few years ago, he was the main reason A.J. Boye couldn't stay on the field, nailing his own guy on friendly fire a bunch of times. He's also the reason Juju was shipped out of Pittsburgh, injuring him for the year on his final season with that team. I like his toughness and the leadership that he's brought to this team, but the guy just can't seem to figure out how to pick his head up on these tackles. Not every tackle needs to be of the hit stick variety. Anyway, back to the game. This defense had three takeaways total and did a great job of limiting the Vikings to field goals in the red zone. They remain, however, absolutely terrible against the run, allowing 175 yards rushing to a Vikings team that has been looming towards the bottom of the league in that category all season. Overall, I came into this game excited to watch Josh Dobbs play, but 7 million hours of sob stories and family cutaways between seemingly every whistle left me with a bit of Dobbs exhaustion. As for the Broncos, they really had no business winning this game. The Vikings dominated in almost all aspects. Until this offense can rise to the level of the defensive play, a phrase I thought I would never say this season, I might have to add them to the watchable ban list. I am glad they got the win, but I am not happy with the way in which they achieved it. Last game on our watchable games list was the most anticipated matchup of the week, as the Eagles improved to 9-1 on the season with a 21-17 victory over the now 7-3 Chiefs at home. If I were to tell you one of these defenses came away with 5 sacks, you probably think I'd be talking about the Eagles, right? Wrong. It was Chris Jones and the Chiefs defense. If I were to tell you one of these Eagles receivers would tally close to 100 yards and lead his team in that category, you would think I would be talking about A.J. Brown, right? Wrong. Legereus Sneed did a great job against Brown and only allowed him to record one catch for eight yards. It was Devontae Smith who led this team in receiving with 99. Nothing about this game went as expected. Blame it on the rain and the cold weather or just offensive schemes in general, but either way, this wasn't quite the offensive showing we all thought it would be. A few episodes ago during the Broncos and Chiefs preview, I spoke about how Justin Watson was rising up the list of trusted receivers for Mahomes. Tonight was his sort of breakout night with a mixed bag of results. He led the team in targets and started the scoring off with a touchdown, but also had a really bad drop at the end of the game that would have put the Chiefs in position for the win. Travis Kelsey was not his typical dominant self either. He had an uncharacteristic drop, but later redeemed himself with a great catch for a first down. He also had a really bad fumble, but came away with a touchdown as well. So I guess it all evened out for him in the end. Both Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes 
threw for less than 200 yards, and both of these teams relied heavily on their rushing attacks. Isaiah Pacheco ran for almost 90 yards, accounting for the majority of the team's 168 yards on the ground. On the flip side, DeAndre Swift, Jalen Hurts and company combined for 124 rushing yards and three touchdowns. Overall, I came away from this game feeling like the Chiefs sort of gave this game away instead of feeling like the Eagles stole it. The Chiefs were yet again held scoreless in the entire second half of this game for the second time in a row. This may warrant some concern here. The Eagles passing game struggled more than I anticipated, and I'm curious to see how they play next week. The loss of Dallas Goddard may be more impactful than expected. Either way, both of these teams should make a deep run in the playoffs, and I'd love to see yet another rematch. Moving on, let's check out the results of my speed round. First up, we had the Bears' 26-31 loss to the Lions at home. Justin Fields returned and made a huge impact for the Bears. He was a monster on the ground as usual and rushed for over 100 yards. His return was beneficial for DJ Moore also, who had close to 100 yards receiving and a score, ending his drought. In a game where Fields was on fire, Goff was not. Jared Goff had an awful game. He threw three interceptions and had quite possibly his worst performance at home, which is very atypical for him. Despite this, the Lions were able to lean on their rushing attack once again. Both David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs scored and were detrimental to this win, a win they almost handed Chicago if not for a heroic effort by Aiden Hutchinson, who sealed the game with a sack, fumble, safety, crushing any attempt at a last-minute comeback. Moving on, we had the Titans falling to the Jaguars 14-34. Outside of a deep shot from Will Levis to DeAndre Hopkins and a touchdown grab from Jeffrey Simmons towards the end, the Tennessee offense couldn't get much going. The Jaguars dominated this game on both sides of the ball. Calvin Ridley had a productive day going for over 100 yards receiving and scoring twice. This offense seems to operate so much better when he's more involved. Up next, we had the Packers' 23-20 victory over the Chargers. The Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler show couldn't keep up with the wide receiver core of the Packers. Quinton Johnston continues to be a bit of a disappointment with a big-time drop downfield on the Chargers' final drive of the game. If he would have been able to bring the pass in, the Chargers might have been able to at least tie it up. Where LA's young receiver fell short, the Packers' youngsters rolled. All four of them either scored or had massive production. Jordan Love looked a lot better than he has looked in the past few games, throwing for over 300 yards, two touchdowns, and zero interceptions. Next up, we have the Cowboys' blowout win against the Panthers, 33-10. C.D. Lamb and Dak Prescott did not have the massive day I anticipated, mostly due in part to the fact that Deron Bland is a pick-six master and limited the offensive drives for the Cowboys. Another contributing factor was the running game. Almost every offensive player got at least one carry. There definitely was an attempt at getting this rushing attack on track. It worked to some extent. Tony Pollard finally had a decent day productivity-wise and scored a touchdown. On the other side, Bryce Young and this Carolina team is 100% unwatchable right now. He continued to struggle yet again, and I have not seen any progress in his development. 
If anything, he's regressed since the start of the year. They have a lot of work to do this offseason. On to some other teams that will be busy upon season's end. The Giants completed the sweep against their division rivals, the Washington Commanders, 31-19. This win came off the backs of a great defensive showing, Saquon Barkley, and also from their quarterback, Tommy DeVito, despite being sacked a total of nine times. Sam Howell also struggled with pressure and was brought down four times. He and Brian Robinson were productive on offense, but ultimately struggled to put up points. Coughing the ball up six times will usually do that to a team. Moving forward, we had the Buccaneers' 14-27 loss to the 49ers. Christian McCaffrey started a new scoring streak in this game, and alongside Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, and George Kittle, they proved once again just how dangerous this offense can be. Brock Purdy played a clean game and ended with over 300 yards passing, only four incompletions, and a perfect passer rating of 158.3, still the weirdest number in football statistics. The Buccaneers' offense continues to go the way of Mike Evans and Rashad White, who both had fairly productive days on the stat sheet. Baker Mayfield proceeds to entertain. I've decided he's much like Jameis Winston in that aspect. Not in play style, but in the fact that almost every time he has the ball, it's going to be exciting, either for his team or the opponents. He turned the ball over twice this game, once through the air and one on the ground, but he also hit a dart to Mike Evans for his touchdown. I've said it a bunch of times in the past, but I really am enjoying Baker playing on this team. Despite his flaws, this team seems to rally behind him, and as long as this continues, I'll continue to enjoy watching him. Up next, we had the Bills beatdown against the Jets, 32-6. This Jets offense continues to disappoint and are downright unwatchable right now. You know your team has a problem when the punter has better passing stats than the starting quarterback. Despite what the score looks like, they were actually able to score a touchdown with Brees Hall, but they failed on the two-point conversion attempt. It was their first touchdown in like 15 years. What a waste of such a great defense. A defense I actually thought could frustrate Josh Allen and potentially nab some takeaways and help come away with a victory. Nope, none of that happened. Allen rose to the occasion and played a fairly clean game. His lone interception on the day came in the form of a Hail Mary attempt at the end of the half. I wouldn't necessarily consider this a mistake on his part. In the receiving game, Khalil Shakir led the way and had a monster day scoring off of an 81-yard play. Stephon Diggs was fairly quiet, and Dalton Kincaid had the most targets. Lastly, we had the Rams who ended a three-game skid with the 17-16 squeaker over the Seattle Seahawks. Geno Smith was having a decent day until an elbow injury took him out of the game in the third quarter. In came Drew Locke, and as a Broncos fan, I immediately knew this would result in a lock block and a loss. In typical fashion, he completed only two passes to his team and one for the other. He was eventually pulled for the final drive of the game. Geno at 50% was still a better option than Locke at 100. DK Metcalf was able to record close to 100 yards receiving and scored the only touchdown for them on the day. Kenneth Walker left the game early with an oblique injury 
and Zach Charbonnet did a decent job of filling in. Another former Bronco, Royce Freeman, also played in this game, and unlike Locke, actually had a decent day. He led the ground game for LA with 73 yards on 17 touches. Matthew Stafford returned and looked decent at times, but overall, he struggled against this pass rush of Seattle. He was only sacked one time, but he was under pressure the entire game and took several massive hits. Speaking of massive hits, Cooper Cup left this game with an ankle injury, and as a result, Puka Nakua was the main target again and recorded the only passing score for the team. Moving on to the news you need to know, the Jets are finally admitting they made a mistake by keeping Zach attack instead of shopping for an actual quarterback after the Rodgers injury. They have listed Tim Boyle as their starter for the next game. Not a bad spot, considering the expectations are literally laying on the floor. The unwatchable offense of the Steelers has led to the firing of offensive coordinator Matt Canada. I can hear the Yinzer cheers all the way from here, and honestly, I'll be joining them. Canada will be replaced by a tag team of quarterback coach Mike Sullivan and running backs coach Eddie Faulkner. Faulkner will be the interim OC, and Sullivan will handle the calling of the plays. This is an interesting decision as well. Typically, shared duties lead to bad results. In some injury news, the 49ers will be without Talanoa Hufanga for the rest of the season, who suffered a torn ACL against the Bucks. While this is a big blow to that defense, rookie Jair Brown stepped in to replace him and played well, coming away with a red zone interception that helped seal that game. They seem to be in good hands with him moving forward. Joey Bosa left the game early against the Packers with an injury, and his coach Brandon Staley shed some light on the situation, stating on Monday he will likely head to IR with a right foot sprain. With how dependent their defense is on the pass rush, this could be detrimental to this team moving forward. Also injured during that game was Packers running back Aaron Jones, who is now unlikely to start in their game on Thanksgiving against the Lions. In other news, we have quite the shocker here. The Colts have announced they have released linebacker Shaq Leonard, who since announcing his name change from Darius to Shaq has kind of disappeared. Maybe he should go back to Darius. And that's all I have for this episode's news you need to know. Let's go ahead and take a quick break right here. Welcome back. Now it's time I hold myself accountable for the nonsense I spout. Let's do a little bet busting. My straight five bets for this weekend were the following. First, I had Jalen Warren to score, and he did. Next, I had Jerome Ford to score, and so did he. Then I had Rashad White to score, and he did as well. I went on a roll and had Brees Hall to score, which he also did. And lastly, my streak was stomped on when I had Josh Jacobs to score, who did not. That will be the last time I put money down on a Raider this year. Ultimately, I went 4 for 5 here and had a really nice payout. I'll harp on this again because I have a lot of new listeners, which is awesome and greatly appreciated by the way. I cannot stress the importance of the straight bets enough. Yes, the parlays have higher payouts, but there is a reason for that. These straight bets are not only our safety line, but they can also result in decent earnings, much like this week. Anyway, that's enough unsolicited betting advice. 
Moving on to my parlay bets, I switched things up yet again to no avail. I went with two parlays, one three-leg parlay and one five-leg parlay. Let's first take a look at the results for my three-leg. The first leg, I had Tua over 300 yards passing, which he did hit. Next leg was a failure and screwed over this parlay. I had Dak Prescott over 300 yards passing. He didn't even go for over 200, and I really messed up here. The remaining irrelevant leg was CJ Stroud over 300 yards passing, which he did hit. Close yet again, but ultimately still a failed attempt. Now let's check in on my five-leg parlay. First leg, I had the Texans on the money line to win, and they did. Next leg ruined the parlay when I had the Pittsburgh Steelers on the money line to win, which they did not. I also had the Rams to win, and they did. I was apparently in a fugue state when I picked the Jets to win because they obviously did not. Lastly, I put my money where my mouth is and took the Broncos to win on the money line, and they did. Ultimately, I went 0 for 2 on these parlays yet again, but we're getting extremely close. I will nail a big one before the season is over. Either way, I came out on top this week, and now I can make rent. I hope you guys are paying attention to these so you can make rent too. Before I leave you today, let's take a quick look at the results of my fantasy football advice. My top sleeper picks for the weekend were the following. First, I had Josh Dobbs, who scored 18.9 fantasy points. Next, I had Sam Howell, who came away with 20.7. I then had Rico Dowdle, who only scored 4 points. Up next, I had Jaden Reed, who won one of my games for me with 19.2 points. Lastly, I had Donald Parham, who had a solid 9.7. I too was solid and went 4 for 5 here. Not a bad day at all. Overall, this was a great weekend of football. Maybe not as exciting as last week, but still a decent form of entertainment for sure. There's definitely way worse ways I could be spending my time. Having said that, this is where we part ways for the day. With Thanksgiving in a couple days, the schedule will be a little different than usual. I will return tomorrow for the last episode of the week to preview the entire slate of games for week 12. I hope you all have a great rest of your day, and I'll see you next time.